This is a teaching from Grace River Church in O'Fallon, Missouri. Our prayer is that this sermon will help inspire you to take the next step of your faith with Jesus Christ. Hey, what's up? My name is Chris Highfield, lead pastor here at Grace River Church, and I want to say thank you so much for watching online at home today. We just wrapped up a big initiative called Generations, and I want to celebrate with you today all the really cool things that God has done uh, this past fall here at Grace River. We were expanding as a church, and a part of this initiative is we're going to be able to add 100 seats to the auditorium, double our square footage in kids' ministry space, and add over 100 parking spots uh, to our, our parking lot currently. And so uh, this is going to be an awesome initiative, and I wanted to update you on where we're at with that initiative. So it's been pretty cool. We've actually... Uh, met our goal. Our goal was 1.2 million. We've actually exceeded our goal with pledges, uh, with the total number of pledges being 1.242. And so it's going to be amazing uh, to see what God does as a result of this. In fact, we've already seen 187,000. That's around, uh, that's over 15% already received with this offering. And so we just want to say thank you so much for your generosity. It's not too late to jump in if you're interested in more information at graceriver.cc forward slash generations. You can still make a pledge today. If you call Grace River your church home, my encouragement to you is to, is to get uh, behind this and get involved in this uh, and get in on seeing generations of men and women, boys and girls, meet, know, and follow Jesus. In fact, I, I want to show you a quick video uh, from last weekend, Baptism and Commitment Sunday. Check this out. But I want to give you this passage of scripture. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. It says, Glory to him in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I love this because it's it's a generational church. It's not a church that's just about young people or just about old people. It's about everyone. But really, it's about us passing our faith on from generation to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And I think about those that are being baptized today. there was a group of people that said, you know what? We're going to do something about this. And maybe we're not going to fix everything. But we can fix this big problem, and that's the problem of sin. Let's not let the good news of the gospel stop with us. Somebody stepped into my life, and somebody stepped into your life, and told us about Jesus. And so now we get a chance to tell them about him too. By being a part of a, of a church that's going to breathe life into a community. It's going to let them know, hey man, we got to see Generations will be changed as a result of a decision that they made here. I'm Paul, one of the staff pastors here at Grace River, and I'm so glad you're with us for Church Online in a brand new series called Joy to the World as we enter into this Christmas season. 
joy to the world. Really? <laughs> because so often at this time of year, uh, we feel like there isn't a lot of joy. Matter of fact, a lot of times we have all these expect expectations and anticipation for the Christmas season in hopes that it will bring joy to a, a, a season or even a year that has been a real difficult, it's been challenging. We are hoping to kind of right the wrongs from the past year to um, build up the fractured family. And we hope that this Christmas season, that a dinner together, that Christmas morning, that uh, just the right present and just the right decorations and just the right tree and can all make up for the things from this past year. We're looking for joy, we're looking for hope, we're looking for peace, but so often we are living in not only a season, but a world of unfulfilled expectations where we're wondering where the joy actually is. Uh, I'm the worst when it comes to Christmas presents. My wife will ask me what I want for Christmas and I'll say, oh, I don't need anything or you know, I don't really know. But then if she doesn't get me anything on Christmas or there's just a few things underneath the tree, like I pout like a little baby, like I, I want those Christmas gifts. And we all have these expectations. And the truth is, it's not just uh, in the Christmas season. You know, you watch the news, you uh, look at the personal crises that you have in your own family, or the relational tension that we face, the mental health issues that are around us. And we live in a world where oftentimes we feel uh, disappointed, discouraged, even, even hopeless. I worked in college uh, for a summer in North St. Louis in an inner city ministry called World Impact. It was off of 70 and Grand. And we worked with children and teens. And um, there were certain kids that just, you know, you connected with. And two of those for me were uh, the little five or six-year-old twins named Terry Jr. and Tanisha. Whenever they came into club, they'd want to kind of play with me. And we would run around and play tag or we'd wrestle. And um, I, I just connected with them. And, and yet they had such a hard story. I was so saddened by it. Like they, their dad was, um, you know, using drugs and kind of in and out of the picture at times. Uh, there was a mom at home that um, would kind of withhold food from them. And so we would track the food that they ate. And oftentimes it was very, very little. So we'd give them apples or oranges or cereal bars on their way home, tell them to eat it before they got home. So they would actually eat it and get it. There was a girlfriend in the picture that was living in the house at times, and it was just a chaotic home. It was a sad home. And, and for me, I looked at their lives and I thought, what can they really expect out of life? Will they, will they ever really experience hope and, and joy in their life? And I'm guessing uh, that they had expectations maybe or uh, had dreams of being an NBA star or something like that, but realistically, what, what could they really expect? Well, I got done with my summer at World Impact. I went home and then back to school. And about a week back to school, I got a call from one of the staff members there to tell me that Terry Jr. and Tanisha uh, were in the hospital. He said that the girlfriend in a fit of rage had taken a hot curling iron and had burned their hands and feet, their head, their private parts. I thought how not only how horrible but like how helpless and hopeless I felt like and and what must they ha have felt like it, to me it felt like there was only struggle and tragedy would be left in their life the truth is they're not the only ones like we all know people and maybe even you've been walking through a season of struggle and tragedy a season that feels 
hopeless. And, and the truth is, it's not a new thing. Matter of fact, people 2,000 years ago, at that very first Christmas, were feeling some of those same feelings. Feeling hopeless. Feeling desperate. At that very first Christmas, some 2,000 years ago, what we read about in the first books of the New Testament, the Gospels, the, the good news about Jesus, the biographies of his life, uh, the people were facing Roman oppression. Uh, the, the heavy hand of the Roman government putting heavy taxes on them, foreign occupiers in their land, and they had been waiting for the Messiah, the Savior, the Rescuer. You know, in the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament, it was written 400 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, they had, had prophets that God would speak to and then he would speak to the people. That God was giving messages to the people through the prophets, but over the 400 years between the prophets and the New Testament, it's called the silent years. And in those years, there, there weren't messages coming from God. The, the people were waiting for this rescuer, waiting for this Messiah, this Savior, but only getting silence. And, and it wasn't just them. It was their parents, it was their parents' parents, it was their parents' parents' parents. It was, it, was, it was like one of those situations where, you know, you're waiting for some rescue and there comes a point when you just realize, like, no help is coming. Like, it's just you and, and, your, and your volleyball Wilson or whatever. Like, you're, you're all alone. And that's how many in those days felt. They were living in poverty under that Roman oppression, waiting for a rescuer to come. That's where we pick up the birth story of Jesus. I want to look in Luke chapter 2, the third book of the New Testament. It says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This is the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all returned to their ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David... He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Caesar, uh, or uh, the, the um, emperor Augustus, had this census taken to build up the tax base, basically to send people to their hometowns to register, to get their updated information so that he could send them the tax bill. So Joseph goes back to Bethlehem, his hometown. It's about a 90-mile journey, kind of like going from St. Louis to Columbia. But you can't do it an hour and a half. It took them a week. A week-long trip, uh, walking and on this donkey, stopping each night to lay out under the stars, Mary nine months pregnant. Like, I know no woman who would ever want to take that journey. Jennifer and I, we have only been camping a couple times in our life. Uh, Jennifer hated both experiences. The second time we went, we had two and four-year-old boys, and she was eight months pregnant. It was in August and 90 degrees. We were tent camping. It was miserable. Our marriage almost ended. And we only went for one night. And we slept on an air mattress, and we got there in a car. Well, Joseph and Mary, they get to Bethlehem. They go to the marriage counselor. They... Uh, he decides to use some credit card points and upgrade, right? They've been outside for seven nights. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm getting us something different, but there's no place for them. So they end up in this barn cave. They've got a roof over their head, at least. Hey, there's animals around. 
it's definitely like motel, not hotel. And I'm thinking Mary, at the end of all of this, says from now on, I'm planning our trips. Luke chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says this. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. They, she gives birth to her firstborn, Jesus. And then the author introduces, like in the moment of the birth of Jesus, the author shifts and introduces us to some new people. It says this in verse 8. That night there were shepherds laying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. And here's these shepherds who are at the bottom of the social ladder, right? Like, I mean, maybe tax collectors, lepers, but then, then there's them. They were uh, ceremonially unclean because of handling the sheep. They were low-class afterthoughts, and an angel shows up to tell them about the birth of Jesus. And I love what it says next, verse 10. It says this, But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, the one that their parents, parents, parents had been waiting for, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now these guys are the most unlikely of people. I'm sure they felt hopeless at times, needing peace, needing joy. And God chose them to be the first hearers and proclaimers about this king's birth. I mean, no other king would be announced this way but Jesus. You see the angel's message there, don't you? I bring you good news of great joy for all people. I love this. This joy, this joy that we all need, this great joy, not because of good circumstances, not because the whole family got along at Christmas, not because I got the present I wanted or the Christmas bonus, that's all great, but this is something much, much bigger beyond our current circumstances. This biblical joy is an inner gladness anchored in God. It is based on spiritual realities, not on our current circumstances. Our current circumstances, man, we know this, it can bring us temporary happiness, but it only lasts for a moment until the next downturn, right? It's like up and down, we ride this roller coaster of life. The angel says, I'm bringing you good news that will shift the attitude and the hearts of people. And it's not based on whether the Romans continue to occupy your land or not. It's not based on if you get the new job or the present or the dinner turns out exactly right. This joy is anchored in God, and God is unchanging and faithful and true. When our hope and life are anchored in the unmovable God, we can have joy, real joy. The good news of hope in Jesus brings joy, and it is a great joy. Actually, the, the, uh, the language that this was written in, uh, great joy, it says megas is, is the word for great. It's where we get mega from, right? Like There's this big, huge, gigantic joy, and it's for everyone. Right? I bring you good news of great joy for all people, and that's maybe the biggest news of all. Like It wasn't just for kings and queens. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. It was for all of us, and the way that God introduced it was through 
the most unlikely of people through these shepherds. It's like God says, it's for everyone, including, including you, including me, including you. I'm guessing even the shepherds might have looked around and been like, who, me? <laughs> you're, talking, you're talking to me? No, it's good news of great joy for all people, including you. And we see this in the Bible again and again. John chapter 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible. It says, for God so loved the world. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. On that first Christmas, when it all seemed hopeless, and that God was far off, the angel says God is not far off. He's not silent. He's actually landed among us. He is Emmanuel, God with us, human, human flesh and blood, God among us, to bring hope and joy and peace and relationship. And from that moment, throughout his whole life, Jesus brought joy. But the greatest joy was seen in the way he changed eternal destinies. In Luke chapter 15, there's three parables, three stories, that talk about people who lost something, found it, gathered people together to celebrate and had great joy. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, and it says it a couple different places in Luke, it says this, In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And what it tells us is the greatest joy in heaven and the greatest joy that we can experience is being made right with God, being reconnected with the God who made us and loves us and designed us to be in relationship with him. The one who sent Jesus to this earth, born as a baby some 2,000 years ago on that first Christmas. That joy is an inner gladness anchored in him. And it's not based on our circumstances. It's a hope that's anchored in him no matter what you walk through, no matter what you're walking through even right now. This is why his closest friends could have joy when they should have had sorrow. Like in the very last moment that they saw Jesus on this earth, his, his closest friends should have been filled with sorrow. They're filled with joy. Luke chapter 24, verse 51 and 52 talk about that. It says this, While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem, filled with the very same language the angel used back in Luke. The very bookends of his life, filled with great joy. Now of salvation if life with God and joy in this world is found in Jesus, then one of the ways that we're called to live, if we're people who have begun that relationship with Jesus, experience that joy, is we're called to share that joy. So how do we share that joy? I mean, this is how he primarily introduces himself to the world, is through you and me. And we're called to be the announcers of this good news of great joy. So how do we share that joy? I mean, we, we've done that in so many different ways, even this last month here at Grace River. We had our Serve Saturday about a month ago with 200 plus volunteers making a difference in our community, blessing people around us to let them know about God's goodness and his love. We've done that through the Generations Initiative, which Chris, Pastor Chris talked about at the beginning of, of this message. Seeing uh, generosity flow through people here at Grace River so that more and more boys and girls, men and women can meet and know and follow Jesus for generations to come. 
We do that through inviting others to experience the same thing that we've experienced. And I want to encourage you, if you've been watching online, you haven't actually come and been a part of Grace River in person, I want to encourage you to come at Christmas time. We've got six services. It'll be a blessing to you. But I want to encourage you to invite someone to come along with you. You know, we have a promise that we make when it comes to those services. We promise that, that they'll have a good time. We promise that they'll hear the good news about Jesus. We promise that they'll have an opportunity to respond. So I want to encourage you to invite someone to come along with you. Would you have the courage to do that? Because who knows what that one invite might do. The eternal destinies that could change. The celebration and the joy that they could experience because of that. You know, only Jesus can bring the joy the world needs. It's not in our circumstances or the perfect Christmas. This joy is an inner gladness anchored in God. Now next week, we're going to explore more about what it means to have kind of that inner joy, to like live with that attitude and that peace and that joy in our life personally. But listen, our world is in need of this good news of great joy. It is for all people. So, so here's a couple next steps I want to encourage you to consider. Number one, would you invite someone to join you for our Christmas services? That invite can be the key moment for somebody to begin to meet, know, and follow Jesus and to experience real joy in their life no matter what their circumstances are. And then secondly, would you intentionally pray for and serve somebody who doesn't know Jesus this week? You can serve other people in the church, and that's great, but I want to encourage you to pray for and serve somebody who doesn't know Jesus this week, to simply love and care for them in a season where there's all sorts of expectations and anticipation and chaos and struggle. Who knows what this lifeline might be to them as you just do a simple act of kindness, as you bless them, as you encourage them, bringing hope into their life. Listen, God asks us, to be bringers and bearers of this good news of great joy. And who knows what one invite might do, what, what one act of kindness might do, what caring for someone this Christmas might do, even for the situation that seems hopeless, like the Hebrew people felt 2,000 years ago on that first Christmas, like, like you may have felt, like so many around us feel, like, like Terry Jr. and Tanisha in North St. Louis must have felt all those years ago. You know, seven years after I was in North St. Louis, Jennifer and I were living in Chicago. I was going to graduate school, and one day I went to get our mail. I came home, and, and there was a letter from World Impact. They would oftentimes send us, like, quarterly a newsletter. But it was always highlighting some other ministry, San Francisco, Dallas, L.A., Philadelphia. This time, it was St. Louis. I opened up the first page of that, and I saw a couple of people from our staff. They were still working there. I thought, man, that's so awesome. And I read the newsletter and all the different ministries they were doing. On the back page, the president of the organization would always write a letter and then ask people to financially give. I went to read the first line, and it was, it was like all the breath in my lungs escaped at once. I actually literally fell back into a chair like a boxer coming back from a round of fighting and falls back into the stool in the corner of the ring. As I read, Terry Jr. and Tanisha grew up in our Bible clubs. <sighs> to catch my breath, I, 
I, I hadn't thought about them that much through those years, but all these memories started flooding back of their lives and their little faces and feelings of hopelessness just swelled up in me. He told some of their backstory and then filled in some of the gaps since I'd been gone, including that their dad had been arrested for selling drugs and had been in prison. But in prison, World Impact staff had went to visit him again and again and again, and he had surrendered his heart to Jesus. He got out of prison and reconciled with his wife and Terry Jr. and Tanisha. And as of the writing of that newsletter, they had just recently been baptized, were growing in their faith and in their family. And what had seemed hopeless was not without hope. And where there had been no joy, now they knew joy. And only, only Jesus, only Jesus can do that. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered this scene and it was announced to some shepherds in the most unlikely of ways as he brought good news of great joy for all people. And I hope that you would know that joy this Christmas. And if you've begun that relationship with him, that then you would be a bearer of that joy this Christmas season. So would you consider taking those steps? Would you have the courage to invite someone, to serve someone? Because who knows what one invite, what one act of service might do. The angel said it 2,000 years ago, but it's still true today. He's brought good news of great joy for all people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you entered this world through the birth of Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, bringing good news of great joy, not just for some people, but for all people. That we can step out of hopelessness and into hope, that we can step out of situations where we're longing for joy and experience true joy. God, thank you. Thank you for the manger. Th thank you for entering into this world so that we might be in relationship with you. God, may we be bearers and bringers of this good news of great joy to all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. We would love to see you at one of our in-person services that meet on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11 a.m. If you feel so inclined to give, you can do so at www.graceriver.cc. Have a great week.